Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is Giles Milton, host of the Unknown History Podcast, and you're listening to a special mini-series from historian Jack Kelly, author of Edge of Anarchy, on railroad barons, the Gilded Age, and the greatest labour uprising in America. Hi, I'm Jack Kelly, and this is part four of the labour special, The Unions. In 1979, a young Vermont politician named Bernie Sanders made a short documentary film about Eugene V. Debs. He noted Debs' accomplishments, he lamented the fact that Debs was largely a forgotten figure in history, and he reproduced excerpts from the speeches of a man he obviously very much admired. During his political career, Sanders embraced many of Debs' ideas. He even adopted Debs' passionate, finger-pointing speaking style. So who was Eugene Debs, and what was his role in the unions of that era, and why does his career seem so relevant today? Some remember him as the country's first great socialist. Debs founded the Socialist Party in the 1890s and ran for president five times under that party's banner. The last time he ran, in 1920, he was confined to a federal prison for speaking out against the government and he still got almost a million votes. Debs helped make socialist ideas palatable to Americans. He was the godfather of the democratic socialists who are jumping into today's politics. Actually, many of his proposals, like publicly sponsored old age pensions and subsidized medical care, were eventually enacted into law. But before he was a socialist, Debs was an important 19th century labor leader. When he was growing up in Terre Haute, Indiana, during the Civil War era, he loved trains. As a teenager, he found work shoveling coal into locomotive boilers. That led him to become an official in a fraternal organization for firemen, as they were called. Like many early craft unions, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen did not take aggressive steps to fight for members' pay and working conditions. Instead, they promoted camaraderie and worked with the railroads to assure that those hired had the necessary skills. But the exploitation of workers in Gilded Age America, especially on the railroads, became more and more severe. During the 1880s, Debs rethought the whole question of labor. Low pay was an issue. Danger on the job was a particular concern to those who worked on locomotives. Brakemen had to leap from the top of one car to another in order to turn brake wheels. Try that at night or in a sleet storm. An astonishing 230,000 railroad workers were killed on the job in the quarter century following 1890. That's 23 people every day. It was clear that the railroad corporations were not going to improve the situation 
unless they were forced to. With each passing year, it seemed that a colossal confrontation between capital and labor was drawing closer. One outbreak came in 1892, when Andrew Carnegie decided to break the most powerful craft union in the country, the Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steel Workers, which represented the skilled men in his smelting mills. Carnegie's henchman, Henry Clay Frick, built a wall around his giant factory near Homestead, Pennsylvania, just outside Pittsburgh, and locked out the union workers. They besieged the plant so that it couldn't operate. Frick brought in hundreds of armed Pinkerton detectives to break the strike. They sailed down the river on barges to retake the property and to protect the scabs who would replace union workers. A scab, by the way, is a derogatory term describing a person who continues to work during a strike. In an all-out gun battle, nine workers and three Pinkerton men were shot dead. The governor ordered the National Guard to smash the strike. Afterward, Carnegie slashed workers' pay and required them to work 12-hour shifts seven days a week. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell. Starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Railroad workers had their own complaints, but the rail unions did not support each other. Often, workers from one brotherhood, like the engineers, filled in to break a strike organized by another, such as the firemen or switchmen. Eugene Debs thought it was time to take the next step. He left the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen and established a new organization, the American Railway Union, which would embrace all railroad workers, no matter what their job. This was to be the first industrial union in America, similar to the United Auto Workers which was formed in the 1930s. Union leaders were able to pressure an entire industry by mustering the solidarity of all its workers. Debs was drawing a line. He said, when men accept degrading conditions and wear collars and fetters without resistance, when a man surrenders his honest convictions, his loyalty to principle, he ceases to be a man. In the spring of 1894, the new union called a strike on the Great Northern Railway, which ran across the Northwest from St. Paul to Seattle. The workers held together, and the company was forced to meet many of their demands. Debs's American Railway Union suddenly became so popular that officers couldn't keep up with the avalanche of applications from workers who wanted to join. Debs was convinced that strikes were no longer necessary. He saw labor and capital as equal partners who could work in harmony. When they had differences, an unbiased arbitrator 
would decide on a compromise solution. But if the railroad corporations would not agree to this eminently sensible arrangement, he was determined to use the power of his massive union to make them agree. Debs's idea of industrial unions conflicted with the more traditional craft unions embodied by the American Federation of Labor, the AFL, which represented workers ranging from carpenters and plumbers to bakers and musicians. Its leader, Samuel Gompers, was friendly with Debs but disagreed with his thinking. Gompers rejected the idea of a grand partnership of labor and capital and focused instead on achieving incremental improvements in the pay and condition of his members. Gompers rejected the idea of a grand partnership of labor and capital and focused instead on achieving incremental improvements in the pay and conditions of his members. The great test of labor's power came in the Pullman strike of 1894. Debs's American Railway Union represented too much of a threat for the railroad corporations to ignore. The confrontation that ensued showed that capital had a powerful ally in the federal government. Rather than act as a neutral umpire in the confrontation, the feds came in on the side of the railroads and tipped the scale against labor. Following the Pullman strike, Eugene Debs moved away from the labor organizing and became a crusader for a complete revamping of American society, a return to what he saw as the communal solidarity of the country's founding. This creed, democratic socialism, was one that he would espouse for the rest of his life. Today, with private sector unions representing less than 7% of the workforce, with organized labor under attack, and with wages virtually stagnant for decades, some are taking a second look at the man Bernie Sanders called the most effective and popular leader that the American working class has ever had. You've been listening to guest historian Jack Kelly. I'm your host, Giles Milton. Tune in to the Unknown History podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks for listening.